Good morning. It's good to see you today, and uh, we hope that you find yourself blessed this morning. Uh, as we often say, this is the best day of the week. It is the day that the Lord has blessed us with, where we come together and we share our like-minded faith in honor and in worship of the Lord, and we certainly hope that He is praised and glorified this morning. Uh, and as Brother Monty said, it is our hope and our desire that you are edified or built up this morning as we look into God's holy word. Uh, just to catch everybody up, if you haven't been here, or you've missed one or two of the, the last few Sundays, we've been doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit and going through these individual characteristics or results or produce, if you will, of the Spirit and so we're going to revisit some of that this morning, uh, and especially revisit something that Brother Nathan talked about last week. Today our subject is kindness. And if you go back and you look through the list of the fruits of the Spirit, uh, we probably customarily remember the King James Version of this as we go through love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and gentleness is the word that's translated there. And we'll talk about why I decided to use the word kindness today as we look at that. This is from the New King James Version, Galatians 5, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So there's a, a little bit difference in the English words than how they're translated here in the New King James as opposed to the uh, King James, or in relation to the King James, not opposed to it, but uh, this word that's translated gentleness in the King James is translated kindness in the New King James, and the word meekness is actually translated as gentleness in the New King James. Now, that may be confusing, but why would they do that? Well, the reason they did that is because looking at the way that word is used in the Greek in various uh, places throughout the New Testament, the words are used more in relation to the way we use these English words today translated this way. And so if you look at the way that some old terms may be used, we don't necessarily use those terms in that same way. Uh, and I'll allow Nathan to define gentleness or meekness later on because that's his subject and I'm not going to jump on that. But I do want to say this. Sometimes these words, and actually three of these words, are used interchangeably in English. The word kindness, the word goodness, and the word gentleness. And actually if you look at the way this word that's translated kindness is defined, sometimes it means goodness, and sometimes it's translated goodness, or gentleness, or kindness. As you see, these are all, this is how they're translated in the King James Version. That's what these three words here are, are denoting there. So this particular word that's translated kindness is used ten times uh, in the scriptures, in the King James, stot ace, and I'm not going to try to say that multiple times. Uh, one way that we see this word used in Scripture is in Romans chapter eleven twenty two, which gives us an idea of, of what the word means. It says, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. So what I want us to notice here is that the word that's translated kindness in Galatians 5 is used and translated as goodness here. And if you notice, it's in juxtaposition of the word severity. And so what's he talking about here? He's saying God exercised severity on disobeyers. He judged them harshly. He used harshness and judgment on them, but he uses towards you what? Goodness. So what, what would be the, the antonym or the opposite of severity? Kindness. 
goodness. God is a God of goodness, a God of kindness. And let's look at the word kindness now defined by Webster's Bible Dictionary. And, and to give you a little bit of background, Webster's Bible Dictionary is a little bit different. If you look at a Webster's Dictionary, he's going to go out and he's going to survey a lot of scholars and say, what does this word mean? And when you see definition one, two, three, one is the most popular usage of that word, two, and, and so on. So if you look at the Bible Dictionary, what you're going to get is a big, large collection of information saying, this is the inferences of this word, what we learn from this word. So it's a little bit more free in defining, but it's not a recorder of, or it's not a maker of law but a recorder of law, if that makes sense. So, the word kindness, as it's used in Scripture, means goodwill or benevolence. That temper or disposition which delights in the cont contributing to the happiness of others, which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes, that is the recipient of our kindness, supplying their wants or alleviating their distresses. Now this word benignity is not a word we use that often, but think of the word benign, right? When we talk about tumors, we say is it malignant or is it benign? What does benign mean? Benign means it's harmless, so think of it that way. Harmless of nature, kindness ever accompanies love. Now, there's a lot of defining here, but this is exactly what we're going to see in Scripture as we look at the subject of kindness. And so let's just visit this one right here. Kindness ever accompanies love. Well, how do we know that? Because love is kind. Love is kind. And this is the root word of that word Christodes that we looked at earlier. This is the root word. Love is kind. So we understand that Again, just as the Spirit has fruit, love has fruit. And if you notice, a lot of the things that are mentioned in Galatians 5 are also mentioned in this same list in connection to love in 1 Corinthians 13.4. Something else we can learn about kindness in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So as we think about what Webster says about kindness he noted that it is a temperament or it may be a disposition towards someone about their goodwill well what would we call a disposition toward the goodwill of someone else we might call it compassion we look at someone else and we have a care or a concern about their good or or their well-being and we call that compassion but that's not necessarily the same thing as kindness notice tender-hearted is mentioned here and kindness and so we may have kind thoughts towards someone or kind feelings towards someone, but that really doesn't encapsulate the idea of kindness completely. So we'll talk about that more in just a moment. So what I want to revisit from Brother Nathan's lesson before we get any further is this. He talked about there were two types of, of things that were mentioned there. There were works of the flesh... And then there were these, these fruits of the Spirit. And those things are not the same. In fact, if you look at them, they're the opposite of one another. What is the works of the flesh? Those are the things that we as humans are naturally inclined to do. It is our human nature. And if you look at those lists, our flesh is what leads us toward doing those various things that we'll look at the list in just a moment. And one of the things that he said that I thought was very profound and very important for us to understand is when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, those are things that are in connection with the nature and character of God. 
They're not things we're naturally inclined to do. They're things that as God transforms us through his word in Christ Jesus, we begin to take them on because it is the character and nature of who God is. And so we may see naturally that someone might exhibit some of these things, but that's really more the exception than the rule. But when you take a a total view of all of these things, you're not going to find somebody out in the world that has a completeness in their life of love, joy, peace, and so on. And so when we think about these things, some of these may bite us a little bit because maybe it's not our natural inclination to be kind. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. If you could sort of summarize the idea of compassion, this is what's really necessary. That through our humility... We put aside our own selfish ambition or our wants and desires and we view someone else's desires and needs and wants above our own. And so if you think about it that way, that's really the essence of kindness is that I'm really doing this act out of compassion for you. Now, why did I bring this up? Selfish ambition is one of the things that's listed in Galatians chapter 5, which the King James just translates as the word strife. But it's the exact same Greek word translated, um, where's that word at? There it is up there, selfish ambition, which literally means to intrigue for office or to campaign for oneself. It's, it's about someone's selfish ambition, someone looking out for their own interest, we might say. Now, if you look at these works of the flesh, Every one of these things, again, represents the fleshly nature of humanity. And if you just look at these first four, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, what would be the opposite of that? Someone who lives in the desires of their own lust, what would be the opposite of that? Self-control. And, and so he mentions that in the fruit of the Spirit. You can go through this list and look at each one of these, and, they, and, and there's one that opposes that in the fruit of the Spirit because God is telling us to cast off our fleshly nature and put on a spiritual nature that is more in line with the character of God. And so selfish ambition is the enemy of kindness. And I want you to really let that sink home. Selfish ambition is the enemy of kindness. Because it will make every excuse in the world not to be kind. Not to be kind. The only way that we are going to implement the fruit of kindness in our life is to look outside of our own desire. To look outside of our own ambition. Because kindness is not a natural thing for us. You say, well, well, yeah, but hold on a minute. What about a mother to a child? Yes, that's natural, isn't it? What about a family member? Yes, that's natural. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a larger perimeter of who we are to be kind to and also letting God define how that kindness is to be shown or exercised. So think about God having the characteristic of kindness. How do we learn what Paul is writing about here when he says, implement the fruit of kindness? But we have to look at God's kindness. So, so we can't just go, well, I understand what kindness is and I know how we use the word, so therefore I know what kindness is. No, we have to look at God and say, how was God kind? 
And then we learn what God wants us to do in regard to being kind. So therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. So here again, the word kindness is used and coupled along with the word tender mercies, which is similar to what we saw in Ephesians 4 a moment ago, where it says, be kind one to another, tender-hearted. And I believe that it's translated in the King James in this particular verse, bowels of mercy, or a heart of compassion, we would say. So again, I want to say this, just because we have a, a, a kind disposition towards someone doesn't necessarily mean that it is the fruit of the Spirit. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, look at James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Notice that James writes, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it has not works, is dead. Now, what is the point that James is trying to make? Do you ever have compassion towards somebody that you see is, is hurting or they're in a dire situation? I think we probably all see that. And maybe sometimes the opportunity's not there. Somebody may be really far away, like we see, maybe see a picture of, of children that are suffering or, 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 or they're hungry or they're sick, but they're over in a different country. And we say, well, there's very little I can do to help them, but I really feel for those children. Okay, you kind of get the idea there. We may have feelings of compassion. And so someone sees someone who's hungry and they don't have clothes and they say, man, I hope that you find some food and man, I hope that you find some clothing. What does that do for them? Well, it lets them know that we care, but that's not kindness. Kindness is when I say, you know what? I got clothes at home. You can have my clothes. Kindness is when I say, well, you know what? It would be a great inconvenience for me to feed you food, seeing that you're hungry. But hopefully somebody who cares enough will fill your belly. And I think that illustrates that compassion is really not active, it's not living until it's met with kindness because kindness is not just a feeling, kindness is an action. Kindness is how we express our compassion or our care or our concern for one another and we certainly see that with God. So I know we've, we've gone through a lot of information here but I want to summarize what I believe the Bible teaches kindness is. Kindness is an act of goodness done for the benefit of another and is driven by compassion or unselfish desire for their happiness or their well-being. So, to simplify this, let's just think about us doing good for one another. You ever heard this? Ever said this? This is a very popular idea. Someone say, well, you know what? They don't deserve my kindness. They don't deserve my kindness. You say, well, why would somebody say that? Because it's somebody that did something to them they didn't like. They don't deserve my kindness. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, his compassion, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of the eternal life. Thank God that he doesn't have the same heart that sometimes we do that says they don't deserve my kindness. Because the truth is, none of us deserve the kindness of God. Not one person here. What if you took someone's worst moment 
and you decided that they would either receive kindness or judge people, we say, well, yeah, but look at what they're doing. They don't deserve my kindness, and nor do we. We don't deserve God's kindness, but that's not who God is. God doesn't look at us and say, well, do they deserve my goodness? Do they deserve my kindness? Romans chapter 5 really, I think, encapsulates this even better when he says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous person, though perhaps for the good person someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When God sent his son to the earth, he looked down not at good people, not at righteous people, but he looked down at rebellious people who shook their fist at God and said, I will rebel against your will. I will live according to my flesh. And God said, and I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to be kind because that's who God is. Well, I'll be kind to them when they start being kind to me. Sorry, I have a typo. They, that's they, not thee. When they start being kind to me. And so it's sort of this kindness reciprocation, if you will, that someone's kind to me, so I'm kind to them. And, and when we look at Scripture, we're going to find a lot about this, especially in the teachings of Jesus, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But I want to just first visit something that Paul said in Romans 12, 17. He said, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, what is the calling here? Is Paul teaching against this idea of only be kind to those who are kind? He's absolutely teaching against that idea. He's saying if somebody treats you badly, don't treat them badly. He says you need to be considerate or give thought to what is doing what is honorable in the sight of all. And if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And I want us to notice this phrase again. So far as it depends on you, you cannot control whether or not someone's kind or nice to you. That is completely out of our control. Now, we can maximize the potential of someone being kind to us by being, giving a soft answer. The Proverbs teaches us that. A soft answer turns away wrath. We, we can help people to have more of a kind disposition toward us by not treating them badly. But you control you, and that's it. And he says, you control you. As much as lies within you, you be peaceable. You be gentle. You be kind. And when somebody rep they do something evil towards you, don't return that toward them. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And someone says, heap coals of fire on the head. That, that'll really show them. What'll really show them? Doing good? That's right. That really shows them. That, that no matter what they do, we're gods. We belong to God. Yes, you can treat me terribly. Yes, you can say mean things to me. Yes, you can, you can hurt me and harm me, but I'm gods and I'm going to do what's good. And in doing good, what's that going to do? You're going to defeat their evil. Not with evil, but with good. Be kind even when people are wicked and evil. You know why? Because that's who God is. Listen to the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 6. He says, give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. This has really given people a lot of trouble, this verse 30. Because how many people ask things of us? You say, what if I ask for my house? 
Do I got to give them my house? What if they want my credit card? Do I give them my credit card? You're missing the point. Jesus is not giving us a legal teaching here. What's he trying to tell us? You need to disabuse yourself of the notion that you're the most important person on this universe and that everything that you have belongs to you and you possess those things and never use them for good. The whole list is, is about that very thing that, well, you've inconvenienced me and I'm not going to help you or, you or you've hurt me in some way or I'm going to harm you in return. What's he trying to tell us? Be kind. Be people that are more inclined toward giving than hoarding and holding on to. If somebody needs something, give it to them and don't ask for it back. Why? Because it's just stuff. You don't need that. If somebody does need that, give it to them. Jesus did not give this teaching so that a manipulator can abuse and manipulate this truth to rob people of their stuff. That's not the point. He's teaching his disciples to have a giving nature. How do you want people to treat you? Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. This gets flipped on its head. Just as men do to us, we will do to them likewise. That's where this notion of, well, I'll be kind to them when they start being kind to me. Or we say, well, respect is earned. No, we be respectful, we be kind because we're gods. Because we belong to God. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Have you noticed that? You know, even wicked people are kind to those who are kind to them. Even wicked people. But the moment you upset them and will watch them go, they're like wound up. He said, he's saying, what virtue is that? If you're just good to people who are good to you, how is that virtuous? How is that really good? Everybody does that. But see, God is different. And then he says this, and if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. He says, you know, if you give somebody something because you're expecting something in return, he said, that's not virtuous, that's not kind, that's not generous. Even sinners do that. But what do God's people do? They give and they expect nothing in return. Nothing in return. And then he says this, but love your enemies. Do good. And lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. There is a reward. We don't do things because of the immediate reward, the instant gratification, the carnal receiving of something in return that benefits our flesh. We give and we give and we give, and there is a reward, but it comes from God. And then listen to what he says. This is really important. And if you do that, you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. I want to read that again. God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. He's not just kind to those that are kind to him. He's not just kind to those that do good to him. God is kind to people who are ungrateful and wicked. And what's his point? You be kind to people that are unthankful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Why? Well, it's not about what's just and what's right. That's not what it's about. Because I think, I, I know in my life when I've said, well, if I'm kind to that person, that I'm validating their bad behavior. Right? If I, if I do something for that person, I'm validating their bad behavior. I'm saying that the way they're living is okay. So you're accusing God of that too? Because God is kind to the unthankful. God is kind to the evil. 
And we're called to be like our Father. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Very similar teaching, but there's a couple nuances that, that add a little more detail here. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love your enemies... Or if you love those, rather, who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, that's a high calling, isn't it? You be perfect, like your Father's perfect. Perfect in what? Perfect in your kindness, perfect in your compassion, perfect perfect in doing good and in, in releasing your resources your time your energy your words toward people just as God would do to us you know not everybody that that traveled with Jesus always had the right spirit you know if you read through the gospels you you see some of the failures of his his apostles and disciples on display and one of the things that I I, I still I kind of chuckle when I read it because and I chuckle for a couple reasons. One, because it's kind of funny to think about someone just impulsively saying something like this. But, but also because I think I felt that way. And I, I know maybe other people have felt that way. And I'm talking about James and John. Okay, Luke chapter 9, 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus had it locked in his mind. He was headed toward Jerusalem and he wasn't going to do anything else. He was headed to Jerusalem. That was his ambition. And he sent messengers before his face. As they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Now, you might have some type of su supposing of what's going on here. I don't know. It just sounds like from the text that they're upset that Jesus is not going to stay there, that he's going to walk through and keep going to Jerusalem, so they don't want to receive him because they don't like that he's going to Jerusalem. That's just what it sounds like. Whatever the case, what we do know is they didn't receive Jesus. They were not hospitable toward him. And so his disciples, James and John, they took it upon themselves to come up with a solution for this problem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Now, what? <laughs> what? Do you think they said this because they thought it was right? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they were just mad. Maybe they were just upset that these people were not being hospitable. Whatever the case, is that how we feel toward people that don't do right? You know what? I'm disheartened. I, 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 I get on the mugshot website sometimes because I'm curious about that. But I, I'll tell you, don't, don't open the comment section of these things. Don't ever do that. Because I'll tell you, you're going you're to read some wicked, wicked things. Well, kill them. Get a noose. Put them to death. Is that how we feel? We see somebody do something bad? And I'll tell you, this is a mugshot website. This isn't even people who've been through the court of trial and been deemed as guilty. They're just accused of it. Is that how we feel? Well, I'll tell you what they ought to do with those people. Just round them up, put them on an island, and just drop a bomb. Is that how we feel? That's exactly what James and John were saying. Should we just call down for fire to come down from God and devour these people? You know what Jesus said to them? He turned and rebuked them and said, You do not... And they went to another village. He said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. I'll tell you, there was a spirit at work here. 
that drove them to say what they said. But it wasn't the Holy Spirit, and it certainly wasn't God's Spirit. We maybe think that we feel really righteous in hoping that sinners would be punished in this life. But that's not the mission that God sent us on. It's not the mission He sent His Son on. God did not send His Son into this world to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That's the same calling He's given us. Not to look out and look at people's deeds and judge them as whether they ought to live or not or something bad should happen to them, but to do what? To present our conduct as honorable in the sight of all men that they would see the glory of the Father. Everybody is redeemable. Everybody's redeemable. And it's in their hands whether or not they respond to that kindness. It's in their hands whether or not they respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're not the judge We're certainly not the jury, and we're not the executioner. And even to think such thoughts, he says, that is from another spirit. That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to your enemies. Bless your enemies. Pray for your enemies, not so that fire would rain down on them. Pray that good things would happen to them, because that's who God is. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it is. You know, one of the things that we take for granted is just how powerful the kindness of speech is. How good is it when somebody says just the right thing at just the right time? It's a, it's a fantastic thing. Some people just have a real talent for that. And it's a good thing when people use their words to build people up and to, to, to help them maybe to see something that, that just changes their perspective. It's such a good thing. But you know, there's another side of this too. Colossians 4, 5 and 6, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Now, outsiders is talking about those outside of the body of Christ. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Your speech must always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So sometimes we generally apply verse 6, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We ought to talk to each other in the same way. But if you look at the context, who is he telling us to talk toward with grace and seasoned with salt? It's the outsider. It's those outside of Christ. And what does that do? It helps us make the most of the opportunity that we have to show them Jesus Christ. And how many times have we run those opportunities by being short or mean or hot-tempered with people or saying something rude or unkind? we got to be careful. we got to be so careful because we do represent the Father in this world. And when we use our speech carefully and we use our words and we say gracious things and we season them with salt, you say season them with salt, what does that mean? The easiest way to illustrate that, in my opinion, is just to say there's some types of foods that are hard to eat without some seasoning. They're bland, they're not pleasurable, and you can't just cram them down somebody's throat. But you season them the right way, and something that would not be desirable becomes desirable. And so you can say certain things to people, and it's the way that you say them that may dictate whether or not they receive that or they reject that. Be careful with the way that you say things. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. This one is involving brother-to-brother type communication. And what's he say? Don't speak corrupt words. And I don't believe he's talking about cussing here. 
not cuss. There's other passages that would talk about that. But corrupt words would be things that corrupt, that tear down, that decay, that cause harm to people, that would be injurious or injure someone. He said, don't say those things. You say what's good that builds up that it may impart grace to the hearer. Speak kind words. Be kind with your words. And there's another side of this. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. That's a pretty powerful picture, isn't it? You know, anybody that we talk to, we could say the wrong thing, and it could cause a wall of contention to be there for the rest of our life. We've got to be so careful in how we use our words, whether or not we speak kindness to people, whether or not we're harsh with people, because it can affect people. Notice a couple verses later he says this, A man's stomach shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth from the produce of his lips. That word produce is kind of like our word fruit, produce of his lips. He shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So this is, this is one of those kind of complex analogies that Solomon gives about food and eating and fruit. And a man's stomach. Well, well what's he talking about here? Okay, when we eat something... When we eat something, what does it do? It fills us up. It satisfies us. What is a person eating here? The produce of their own mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. What's he talking about? He means somebody thrive, some people thrive on the things that they say. They love the things that they say and they eat the things that they say. It really fills them up to say certain things. But here's the problem. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so not everything you eat is going to lead toward life. Some things are going to lead toward death. And he said, you know, people who love their own words, they love the fruit of their own mouth. He said, they will eat its fruit, whether unto death or unto life. Our words are powerful. Our words are so powerful. You know, one of the things that we often take for granted is the power of the words that we speak toward our children, our grandchildren. You know, children are frustrating sometimes. Amen? Children are frustrating sometimes. Grandchildren are frustrating sometimes. And, and sometimes, you know, we've had a hard day. We've had a stressful day. And we say things to them out of that frustration. You know what you can't do? You can't take that back. You can say, I'm sorry, but they hear it. How many children grow up and they view themselves through the words of their parents? The words of their parents. And they can't hardly un unhear it, unsee it. Be careful. Be careful with what you say. I know it's against our nature. I know it's hard. The flesh wants to speak its mind, but out of the heart proceeds out of the mouth. And if what's coming out of the mouth is a problem, it's because what's in the heart has not yet gotten to where God wants it to be. And so we add the fruit of the Spirit to our life. We develop a character of kindness just like God, and the mouth falls into place. Lastly, I'll be kind, but only because it's my command of duty. We're really missing the point here. I'm going to be kind, but only because God told me to do that. That's not what God wants. He wants us to do what he's commanded us to do. But what God wants us to do is develop a character that's like his, where we want to be kind, we desire to be kind. God is not being kind because he's obligated to be kind. He's being kind because it's his character and his nature to do so. Yes, do what's commanded, but God wants something greater than that. He wants you to really be compassionate toward every person. Toward the wicked, toward the good, toward your brother, toward your sister, toward, your toward everybody. He wants us to have a kind disposition and to be kind. 
And y'all are getting sick of this verse. Probably some of y'all are getting sick of this verse because I use it so often. And I don't care. I hope you are sick of it because that means you remember it and you read it. But I think the best illustration of this outside of Christ is Paul and what he says here. That just kind of undoes all this other stuff that we've been talking about. These worldly ideas about when we're obligated to be kind. He says, I will very gladly spend... And be spent for your souls. I will very gladly. Paul says, I'm going to do something with gladness, with cheerfulness. You know, we saw that in the definition uh, of kindness earlier. That people will do these cheerfully. They'll cheerfully look out for the well-being of others. That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Because sometimes to do something for someone's uh, well-being is sort of an inconvenience. Sometimes it's a headache. But he says, I'm going to do that gladly. What is he going to do gladly? He said, I'm going to spend and I'm going to be spent. I'm going to do and I'm going to give for your souls. That's important. Kindness is not something I do because God commanded me to do it. You know why? Because then it's about me. (laughs) I'm going to do something kind for you because I'm afraid God will punish me if I don't. Is that love? Well, it may be love for me, but how is that kind toward you? We need to develop a heart that cares about people's well-being, not just helps people's well-beings because we feel like God will strike us down if we don't. You think about what Paul was doing and saying here. He says, I'm going to give you everything I've got and I'm going to do it gladly. I'm going to do it for your souls. And what did he receive in return? He didn't receive back what he was giving. I'm going to abundantly love you even if that causes you to love me less and less and less because it wasn't about him. That's who Christ is. Christ did not come and die on the cross for him. It glorified him. The Father rewarded him. But he didn't do it for himself. He had that glory before he came to earth. He did it for us because of his compassion, even though we were wicked, even though we did not deserve that kindness. Now back to our reading this morning. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? They're puzzled at this, that he would say, you did all these things for me. And they said, we didn't do any of that for you. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, my brothers, you did it to me. If you can find no other reason to be kind, do it for Christ. Because Christ says, when you do it for one of mine, you do it for me. And who was it that he said, come you blessed of my father? Those that were kind. People look at this and say, oh, that sure sounds like a works salvation, doesn't it? Oh, you get to go to heaven because you did all these things. We may be missing the point there. This isn't a work salvation. He's recognizing who belonged to God. You've showed the father. You've been transformed. By the working power of the gospel. And that's why you did these things. It's why when you saw someone in need, you gave them food, you clothed them, you went and visited them. That's a huge deal. And it was such a big deal that Jesus looked at the goats on the left and he says, You saw me hungry and you were cruel and unkind. You saw me thirsty and you gave me nothing. You saw me 
in prison and you didn't come visit. You saw me a stranger, but you didn't receive me in. And he said to the goats, depart. And he said to those on the right, come. And it all was around kindness. Let's be kind. You want the gospel of Jesus Christ to preach to the world? Be kind when the world is not. Help when the world won't. And just because we see somebody do something wrong doesn't mean that it gives us a license to be unkind or that we're somehow enabling them by being kind. It just means we're being like God. We're being like God. The lesson is yours. If you have a need this morning from God the Father, again, God sent His Son to this earth in kindness and in mercy to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sinful nature, to save us from the judgment that will come upon us if we don't receive the righteousness of Christ. And if you're not a Christian here today, we want to encourage you to become one. If you're a child of God today, if you've been living your life in opposition to God, understand and remember God is a God of kindness. He loves mercy and he wants to give mercy and pardon. So if you need him this morning, come have a seat on the front as we stand and we sing the song selected.